that were here last evening. We spoke a little bit about the Triodion season, this very special time of the year that starts from the Sunday of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's about a 70-day period with about three, uh, <clears throat> three parts. The first period goes until Clean Monday. The second is Great Lent. And the third period is Holy Week. And especially in this period, the church calls us to take up the good fight, to take up the struggle. <clears throat> and all the church fathers agree that the door to this struggle, the key to all the virtues, is the virtue of fasting, which is downplay these days or something secondary as something voluntary as something that we can cut and avoid for no special reason but that is not the spirit of the apostles and the prophets and the saints and those who fear the Lord because according to the 69th canon of the apostles a bishop or a presbyter, or a reader, or a chanter, or a lay person who does not keep the fast of great Lent, let him be defrocked if a clergyman, or excommunicated if a lay person. So we see a little bit of a difference here in the mindset of some of our contemporaries and some of those who became saints. And you use your own discretion who you're supposed to follow. <clears throat> Fasting is key to all this struggle. We talked yesterday about logismus, about fighting special tactics, and all this is inadequate in the absence of the fast and the, uh, the whole mosaic of the church. And none of, these, none of these virtues are an end in itself. Fasting is not an end in itself. Obedience is not an end in itself. Everything is aimed to unite us with God, to unite us with our paradisical state, to get back to what we lost. We lost paradise because we did not fast, and now if we want to return to paradise, we must fast. St. Basil. So fasting is interconnected with all the virtues. Why? Because fasting means obedience. I do obedience to someone else and not my own will. I don't obey my carnal self. I obey someone else. Fasting means faith because faith is obedience. Agustinos Candiotis, who's 99 years old right now, I just met a few months ago, I saw him again. One of the greatest bishops in Greece of this century. He says, fast if you believe. And it rhymes much better in Greek. You know? <laughs> Nistevis otan pistevis. You see. It's not only to fast if you don't believe. Because if you believe in fasting, in this simple thing, then you will not have any trouble believing in the rest of the commandments of Christ. It is the first step. So fast, fasting is a matter of hope. It brings hope. I don't hope in my material goods. I don't put my trust in, on my land and my belongings like the foolish men. And twice God calls someone a fool. Once in the Old Testament. Does anybody remember? Twice. <clears throat> a, fool <setting> his <laughs> a fool said in his heart there's no God. Right? 
just like the fools today that, uh, you know, the universe create, was created by the big, big bang theory, you know? That's true. You know, as Orthodox, we believe that. God said, let there be light, and bang, it happened. And we're not hard to get along with. <laughs> okay. So, a fool said in his heart, there's no God, he's a fool. And also, another fool who trusted in his material things, and he told his soul, my soul, you have enough to eat. Be happy and marry, and be merry. You have everything now. You got it all. You are successful. And he's a fool because he put his trust in something very material, powerless, something dead. And why is greed one of the seven deadly sins? Because it robs us, it robs us from our hope in God. So that's why St. Paul says that greed is idolatry. Someone who's very greedy is an idolater. <clears throat> so fasting breaks us away from all that. Faith, hope, humility, love, almsgiving cannot take place without fasting. Fasting is a matter of humility. It humbles the body. It humbles the body. Esau did not fast. And he lost his birthright because of his belly over some soup. Fasting is a matter of grief. We fast when we grieve. Our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for us. And we need to grieve for our sins and not grieve him anymore. The Ninevites, the Ninevites grieved for three days after Jonah told them what God had in mind for them. And they dressed in sackcloth. And they fasted their babies, their children, and even their animals. And God spared them, at least for another hundred years. Fasting silences the sinful bodily demands. It silences. Someone asked a very good question last night. You know, what do we do with dreams? And this is a men's session. We can probably say a few more things, uh, especially about nocturnal emissions. The church fathers state a number of reasons for those, and one of them is overeating, eating late at night. And also dreams. So fasting silences the sinful bodily demands. It cuts away the fuel. Fasting is a matter of sacrifice. We cut our own will, even in a small way. And it needs to teach us that a costless Christianity is a boneless Christianity. Christianity that does not cost anything is not of any danger to the demons. That's a very simple Greek priest. <clears throat> who, uh, and usually when I grew up in the villages, the priests would not give any sermons because they were illiterate. And if you ask, you know, how did these people uh, survive uh, 400 years of oppression not just the Greeks but even you know the, the other nations of all the Balkans under the Turks most of the time the taxes were so heavy the taxes were so heavy that you had a choice if you couldn't pay them you would lose your head the other option was for you to become a Muslim that was the option and hundreds of thousands of people who did not know how to read or write or study theological books like we do today, they martyr for their faith. Why? Because the liturgy sustained them. The prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, 
sustained them. The keeping of the commandments sustained them. And they knew that Christianity is costly. The reading of the martyrs, the reading of the lives of the saints is crucial. It is crucial. It is the Bible in action. The only proof is the existence of saints. Because they live the gospel. So the simple priest was pestered by his uh, parishioners to give a sermon. And he refused for a while. And then on a day of St. John the Baptist, he thought, okay, I'm going to say a few words. So he began to speak. And he says, well, in today's gospel, you know, Herod didn't do so well because he went and took his uh, brother's wife. That's not very good. But also Herodias didn't do so well because she left her husband. So she's to blame. But also Salome was very unethical. She went and did that terrible dance and excited Herod. So she's also to blame. And to be quite honest with you, my St. John, if you would have minded your own business, <laughs> you wouldn't have lost your head. Okay. You see, of course, this is comical, but do we want to be Christians today or not? You see, if we accept everything, you know, if we're a priest or a lay person, if everything goes, oh, that's okay. You want to give Holy Communion to homosexuals? That's fine. There are people too, got lots of... You know, if we want to... If we, if we compromise everything, okay, then as we mentioned yesterday, the church is no longer a hospital, but a club. It's no longer a hospital, but a little bit of a massage parlor where we go, and we feel good. So Christianity comes with a little cost, a little sacrifice because it's the way of the cross. It is the way to align ourselves towards paradise. We came out with disobedience and now we must go back with obedience to God and his church and not to our own carnal self. So fasting is the avenue to all the other virtues. Prayer, that's why the church fathers say fasting, prayer, and vigilance. Fasting, vigilance, agripnia, and then prayer. Fasting is not only a guardian of finances, according to St. Basil, but a good guardian of our health. You know those little uh, address labels that uh, all these companies send you, and I have hundreds of them now, <laughs> not to do with them. But I got one from a cancer society, and they were given instructions on how to, you know, fight cancer. And they were now trying to teach us that make sure that on your plate there's 75% vegetables and grains. So thank you very much. We've been doing this for 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, that's what the church has been saying. You know, we fast most of the year. Why? Because God knows what's best for us. This is very therapeutic, not only for the soul, but also for the body, because God wants us to have well-being in our whole psychosomatic existence. Not just our soul, but our body. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. <clears throat> fasting is a virtue, and God rewards fasting, because he told us so, that if you fast in secret, God will reward you with what? With heavenly gifts. But as we said yesterday, bodily fasting must be accompanied and lead to spiritual fasting. And St. John Chrysostom talks to his parishioners and he says, I heard some of you say, oh, we have two more weeks to go. We have three more weeks to go. And that shows me that you're making fasting a goal in itself. Fasting will stop, but piety, spirituality, the fruit must remain. So we fast every year. 
every Toyotian season we do these things and we grow a little bit more and we grow a little bit more and we begin to achieve higher and higher and higher spirituality as time goes on if we follow the teachings of the church. And Saint Evagrios Pondikos from Pondos states that do not be saddened if you cannot fast due to an illness. Don't let that upset you. If you're ill, you must eat once and twice and three and four times a day. Why? Because uh, the purpose of fasting has already been completed by your illness. Your illness took care of what fasting wants to do. Your illness brought humility. Your illness reminds you that the end may be near. It reminds you that we cannot exist forever on this earth. That's what fasting does. Fasting wants to show us that we cannot depend on our belly only, but the one who created everything else, the creator. So illness takes over for fasting. The only thing we have to be very, very careful you know, not to, if we're a little ill, and not to eat in front of everybody else, you know, who may not know that we're ill, and especially in the priesthood. It's very important, you know. And people have been scandalized because, you know, they have seen people eat meat on Good Friday, and St. Paul says that, you know, I may have that right, but I will not scandalize my brother who is weak. And he uses it for a different situation, but I believe it makes sense. So without this outer protective garment of our warfare, we will not succeed. Again, the church has the experience of the saints and the martyrs. These are commandments of the church and commandments of the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. The Holy Spirit is in the church. So to say that, you know, fasting is, is not really all that important, as we say in the Greek language, it's what comes out of your mouth and it's important and not what goes in, say that we know how to abuse the scriptures. <laughs> but we want to be sincere and on our way to this beautiful path of Orthodox spirituality, then through humility and obedience, you know, all the other things will be revealed to us. So yesterday, along these lines, we're speaking that along with fasting, which is, by the way, we said it's sacrifice, and everything we are saying uh, comprises and constitutes the gospel of the cross, the gospel of crucifixion. We need to crucify ourselves. This is the entire mindset of the church. We need to keep all these things in mind and then keep adding some of these you know, tactical weapons, as we mentioned yesterday, on how to handle thoughts, how to uh, deal with daily thoughts. And again, it becomes much easier when we keep the whole discipline of the church. We don't isolate things. You know, we don't just take one medicine. I mean, we are, we are on a discipline, and, you know, if we are going to become healthy, we need to follow exactly, you know, what the doctor says. After a heart attack, we cannot just, you know, take a couple pills, and then we need, we need rest. We need this. We need, we, are not, we need a number of things. We need to do exercises. You know, you know it's a whole process. So in dealing with daily thoughts, we mentioned yesterday that we have three sources of these thoughts that come in. The Greek word is logismos, which is, which is not a simple thought. It is a charged thought. It's a, a thought with an energy, a thought that needles you and doesn't let you rest for days or weeks, and you twist in your bed at night because you heard a rumor that they're laying off and you're like 
oh my God, what's you know? And you and this thing is just eating at you, and a number of different things that we mentioned yesterday. So these are logizmi, they are thoughts with a certain energy, and they can be either from God, or they can be from a devil, or they can be neutral. We mentioned yesterday that no matter how horrible, how terrible, how ugly, filthy a thought may be, we are not responsible. It does not describe us. It does not describe us. And we are not that kind of a person. Something very important for young people who might be tempted. Just because someone may have a homosexual thought does not mean that they're anything like that. It's very important. But the other side uses this to their advantage. And they tie up people. These are thoughts and they're not coming from inside of us. And even if the thought persists, that's not what you are. You're not what your thoughts are telling you that you are. If you have a thought of stealing something, you're not a thief. So, the best way according to the fathers, and I'm using a lot of this information from one of the great blessings of our church today, I believe. I had the pleasure of meeting him a few months ago in Cyprus. Uh, some of you read the book, The Mountain of Silence. There's some certain problems with the author. Very nice man, and I believe he's just in the beginning of his Christian walk. But the information that he took is excellent because he had a little tape recorder, and he recorded everything very, very well. And I met Maximos, who's now a metropolitan of our church, and a tremendous vessel of the Spirit. He has done such work in Cyprus in the last 10 years that has not been seen in the last 75 years. In 10 years, he has filled the monasteries with monks. He has ordained over 50 priests in 10 years. And what really puzzled me was that his information was very close to Father Athanasius Mithilineos. And, uh, you know, I just, I had this curiosity. So when I went to the monastery, I asked one of the monks, and I said, you know, I have been translating the work of Father Athanasius. And one of the monks told me, oh, yeah, yeah, when he came from the Holy Mountain, he brought 2,000 of his tapes. <laughs> so it's wonderful. By the way, he... Uh, who was also a spiritual child of, of Father Paisios, and Paisios is a saint. The church will canonize him in due time. He was a spiritual child for 16 years. And also, he had an extreme relationship of love with a Framka Tunakiotis. They both saw that he would become a bishop. So they knew it. So they just took him in. And even from the age of 18, they were revealing to him and preparing him for the mysteries of God. Also, Philotheus of Vakos told him and prophesied that someday when you're giving sermons, and he told him when he was 19, me sermons? I'm a monk and I'm going to stay in the holy mountain for the rest of my life. I'm never going to leave there. <laughs> so, he combines the academic theology of the Saloniki, because he's also a theologian, but also the experience of the Holy Mountain, the theology in practice. So the first thing we must understand is that none of these thoughts, none of these thoughts are going to be 
foreign to us. They're going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Saints have them. Holy people have them. Uh, carnal thoughts visit saints. And I'm saying these things, you know, not to have this false impression that, you know, we have to be something different. We are human beings. And God knows this. Paisios at some point criticized a woman in his heart. He saw her. She was not dressed well. And, you know, uh, in his mind somehow he called her. She looks like a prostitute. The grace of God left him. And they know. You've read St. Siloan. And we don't know. But once the grace of God leaves you, it's worse than hell. Paisios tried everything. Tried everything. Try to reject the thought. We said the first thing we do is reject the thought. He tried everything. The Loyismo would not leave him. Grace would not come back. And we don't recommend this for anybody. Okay. I mean, these are extreme measures that only the saints do. He finally went into the forest. Uh, by the way, some of these thoughts can be so persistent that some of the writings of the fathers say some ascetics went in the forest hoping that a snake would bite them. It's when God abandons people for a few hours, a few days. And this is a great experience. And also very humbling. This is how humility gets to us. Paisios finally, to get the grace back, took an axe and he sliced his leg. And after the blood began to flow, then these carnal thoughts dispersed and grace came back. Okay. But for us, in the real world here, okay, when a thought comes, we ignore it. We don't begin to pray right away. We don't do that. We don't give it any attention because demons and the devil is extremely egotistical. They cannot stand. They cannot bear to be ignored. If they see that they don't get to you, they'll go to someone else or they'll leave. This is, this is nothing here. We've got to go. If they see that you panic because you have this awful thought during the Charvimic hymn, during, right before Holy Communion, <coughs> right at confession, the devil can put a very horrible thought in your mind about your spiritual father. A carnal thought. It is not from you. You ignore it. You don't need to write it down and you do not need to confess it. And the reason behind this is when you write it down, you give it substance. You give it attention. Okay. We ignore it and we begin to do something else. If it doesn't go away. Now, we said that the first way to combat a thought is to just ignore it. Treat it like a fly. Fly comes on your nose. You just do a little action and it goes away. Now, let's say that this, this does not work. It's still, the thought is still there. There's a couple other things that we can do. You know, you try to ignore it, but it keeps coming back, keeps coming back. <clears throat> Some of the elders suggest a substitution. This is not spiritual. You know, this, this happened even where it's not a spiritual tactic. It's, it's a very, I can say, logical. We substitute this thought with another thought. You know, we can begin to watch, if we have this image that's not leaving, we can try to replace that image with another image. We begin to look at the icons. Uh, we can begin to measure the candles in the church. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No. Just to weaken the first thought. One of the uh, one of the elders one of the elders in the uh, in the holy mountain was doing this. And this man is speaking for extreme. Everything, all the stories that I'm telling you, you know, I have 600 of his tapes, and you'll never hear them because, because you know, they're not going to be published. They come from his experience, from people that he met. This age, like 20, 25 years ago in the Holy Mountain, that's when he went there. He says, uh, my son, when I have a thought like that, I just sit there, and I measure how many candles are on the chandelier. One, two, three, four. And then the thought weakens, and then I get back to prayer. So, it's one method to, to, give, to give the noose something else to work with. Now, if this doesn't do it, now we use the third weapon, which is prayer. A lot of people use prayer right away. But for the reasons that we mentioned, when we use prayer, we have to be very relaxed. Baisio says, it is not good to use prayer when you're confused and you're scared. It's like a soldier who's holding a weapon and he sees the enemy and he's shaking, you know is not going to be very effective. When we show the evil one that, you know, we are afraid, he's not going to go away. He enjoys this. <laughs> this is what he wants. Oh, I got his attention. Good. I'm going to give him more. So at this point, we concentrate, and again, this is step number three, we concentrate on the words of the Jesus prayer. Very peacefully, very methodically, without haste, we concentrate on the words. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And we keep repeating that. We fix the noose, the eye of the soul, the word noose, N-O-U-S, where we get the word noetic, so we fix the noose, we concentrate on the prayer. Without fear, without trembling, once again, we try to be very peaceful. You know, uh, when we're in the kitchen working and we do different things at work, and all of a sudden, you see, the devil knows how to take, he doesn't take us right away to an evil thought. He's extremely good at this. What he will do is, he will begin to remind us about our high school. And then, from that thought, he'll jump to another one. And then he'll say, oh yeah, that high school, oh, those nice days. And then he's going to begin to remind us about football. And from football, he's going to go to the cheerleaders. <laughs> and go on and on. And he just takes our mind, okay, on a voyage. And we don't realize this. And he's just pulling us along to the point where now we are focusing on some things that we shouldn't be. Now, St. Nicodemus says, remind him that you know what he's doing. <laughs> and from that, Paisio says, uh, you know, when I have a thought like that, I thank the devil. I said, oh, thank you, because you just reminded me that I left my prayer. <laughs> this, thank you, you remind me to stop praying. You know, I, I was laxing, and you happened to be there, and you're doing good work. And when the devil hears that, <laughs> you see, it sounds simple. But, you know, we think that, you know, uh, this is simple stuff, but it works. Since we can thank him for doing his job. That's why God put him on this earth. So we can have an adversary, so we can struggle, so we can be reminded that we're fallen people. He could have sent him to Mars or another planet, but he put him here on earth so he can be our trainer. 
And Paisios was so polite, he wouldn't even call him Satan. You know, he used to give him a very, very nice nickname, you know, in Greek. He would just not call him, because, you know, the saints, they come to the point where they're so full of love, they love all creation. St. Isaac the Syrian talks about that. Even, you know, love, when overflows, okay, when we keep the commandments, and when we come to humility, then humility gives birth to love, which is union with God. God is love. Then, the man has burning of the heart, where he loves the entire creation, even the demons. Doesn't love their fallen nature, doesn't love their evil. And by the way, the devil is not evil. And maybe that's what Carlos's word said uh, meant when he said that uh, uh, the devil is not as dark as you think he is. Hopefully that's what he meant. He's very dark, but he's not evil in his nature because evil does not exist in its essence. There is no such thing. It does not exist. Because everything was created by God, and God creates only good things. So that demons and the devil is good. He was created good in his essence. He became evil in his proeresis, or in his disposition, by choice. And God loves the devil, the Christians, the atheists, everyone 100%. God's love doesn't go up and down like ours. Okay. So Paisios, who has this kind of love, one day he was praying for the demons. These poor creature, creatures, why can't they repent? He had this loyismo. So, I wonder, why, why can't they repent? <laughs> and God wanted to show him why. <laughs> and uh, he, allowed, he allowed the devil to appear. And, you know, he's praying for the demons, Paisios. And the devil appears and tells him, Hey man, who told you to pray for me? I don't need to repent. It's God who needs to repent. And at that point, he understood <laughs> more than what you would understand by reading hundreds of pages of books. So the simple words of the Jesus prayer are full of power. And exercising this prayer takes obedience, persistence, and battle. We must understand that in the beginning, we will be flooded with thoughts. And you all know this. You have been practicing. The news will not be able to hold the prayer. This is consequential of the fall. In paradise, the news of men, it was very simple. It was natural for the news, for the soul, to be united with God. But after the fall, the energies, the power, the, the energies of men, they have been so much distorted that the noose is pointing in a different direction. And it takes a lot of struggle to re reunite the noose and the soul and the heart. These are all interchangeable terms. Heart, noose, soul. So as you know, when you try to say the Jesus prayer a few minutes, all of a sudden, all the ideas come to your head. Now, we have to understand this. This is going to happen. The devil does this to discourage us, to think that we are blaspheming God. And yes, you can be doing the Jesus prayer and start having bad carnal thoughts, all kinds of thoughts. The key is not to let this discourage us. And this happens to monks. There was a monk in the Holy Mountain, again from Athanasius of Lemesos, the Metropolitan. He says, you know what, I'm so forgetful, 
But every morning, I have no problem. I know this by heart now. I don't have to remember anything during the day. He's a very forgetful person. When he would begin to do his prayer rule, all of a sudden, the devil remind him all the tasks of the day, everything you have to do, everything for God, planning, ideas. You can write poetry. You can write your best sermons. Right there. No. It's a given. So knowing this in advance, we're not going to stop. And God accepts even this unclean prayer. And very simply, we talk to Christ and say, Lord, that's all I have. That's all I have. That's all I can give right now. God doesn't get upset with us. I know when you read... St. John of Climacus, you know, you need a ladder. But that is, he's writing to a different, he's, of course it's a great book, but it is mostly for monks. It's for a different level. Sure, after you're in a desert for 30 years, hopefully some of these things, you know, will be surpassed. But in our case, these things are going to come, and we can very humbly and very simply say, Lord, I'm sick, and you're the doctor. I'm a sick person. I know that. Help me. If you help me, I'm going to pray better. If you don't help me, that's all you're going to get. (laughs) You see? (laughs) Please help me. That's all. And when we do this, then we don't panic. We We don't become stressful. We don't say, oh, that's horrible. I can't even pray for five minutes. What kind of Christian am I? That's all egotism. You know, when we simply humble ourselves and say, that's all I can do. You know, the world has injured me. The devil has made a mess of my life. Lord, help me. The prodigal, the prodigal son. Pure example. The, ta- the uh, tax collector. So it's normal, it's normal to have all this attack right from the beginning. A flood of thoughts. So in the beginning, we concentrate on quantity and not quality. We will have no quality. No qualms about it. There will be no quality. But we continue. It's persistence at this point. Persistence. And the elders talk like this very simply to the Panagia. My elder, Athanasius, went to the monastery and he made a deal with the Panagia, the Virgin Mary. He says, we are, we vow to poverty, we have nothing at this monastery, and we like to treat our guests when they come. Panagia, my lady, if you bring, if you bring us things to the monastery, we will give them to our guests, to your people. If you don't, we will not give them anything. They'll go away empty. So for 40 years, you know, they never run out of something, out of a treat to give to the visitors and also all the people that attend the services. But here, in this situation, the ascetics fought bloody battles for three, four, five hours. It it was the adamant, relentless, superhuman perseverance of our elder Joseph, the Heisekest, that gave birth to all these monastic communities, not here in the United States, there's dozens of others in Greece, And at this point, out of that work, there's about a thousand spiritual children. For seven years, he never laid down to sleep. Why do you think? Out of choice? No. Because of the demon of fornication. Because of nocturnal emissions. If you stay up, you know, it's very safe. And he knows how to do that. Especially before you take Holy Communion. And it's good that we only have men here. Before Holy Communion, 
This can happen. You have to be very, very careful. When you're at a monastery, that's the time when he will choose. And you need to speak to your spiritual father about that. But at that point, you have to be very, very careful, very prayerful, because he comes to take and rub your joy. You're having this great time at this great monastery, you know, and all of a sudden, he comes because he knows you know, that this will make you upset. And there are situations, and again, this is not general advice, there are situations where if the elder uh, sees that this was an attack from the demons, and they may say, if this emission had no image, no dream, nothing like that, in some cases, they will permit the person to take Holy Communion. But again, this varies from elder to elder. I'm just giving you some information that we don't have formulas in orthodoxy. We have some flexibility. There are no formulas. But I want to tell you that even our saints had this warfare, not just us. Of course we'll have it as well. But by being persistent, the name of Christ will eventually disperse all these thoughts. And after this goes on for years, and if we do this consistently, then the noose develops some kind of a protective membrane, let's say. Some kind of covering where when a thought comes, it'll bounce back. It just doesn't accept it. It'll bounce back. And this is after years of practice. A thought will come, but the fighter is very experienced, takes it away, it does not go to the heart. But this noetic prayer is extremely important, and it's always been in the tradition of the church. But you see, when we translate from original Greek, we lose a lot of these terms. St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, I believe, he talks about logiki, logiki latria, which is reasonable worship. And we have logiki, or reasonable prayer, which is the prayer, the liturgy, when we go, when we read prayers, okay, we pray with our mind. But then he talks about noetic, the utterances of the Holy Spirit. And this is noetic prayer, prayer of the heart. And eventually, as we read in books, because it is very difficult for us to really experience this unless we are very persistent. Eventually, this prayer will go in the heart and it will repeat itself. But a man who continues to pray, even though, even in the beginning stages, will begin to feel joy, peace, blessedness, sometimes pain, love for the, for the creation, memory of death, memory of the vanity of this world. And this is the pedagogical discipline of the divine grace to teach the person whatever he needs to know. And again, the key to open the door to this divine discipline is the work of prayer and the prayer with a capital P is the Jesus prayer. It is also very helpful, especially for us who have families who are in the world and thousands of different concerns, to get up in the morning for five minutes, right, right when we open our eyes, to give our lips the prayer right away. Because at that point, the noose, the mind, is very clear. It's rested. You know, there's no other images flying through it. And at that point, those five minutes, seven minutes, ten minutes of reciting the prayer 
can hold us and give us give us spiritual essence for the entire day. But this is where we fall apart because we do it, like myself, we do it for a week or two, three weeks, and then after that we forget. And then we do it for another month, and then ah, we forget again. But this is something that our saints were very persistent on. No matter what time they got home, what time they slept, this is something that goes without saying. So we repeat the prayer for five, six, seven, ten minutes at a specific time. But also, it is very important to fill, to, uh, fill our idle time during the day with our words of prayer. Instead of listening to the radio, instead of listening to some of these tapes, pray instead. And when you get tired, then you listen to the tapes. This is easier work than doing the prayer. Five, ten minutes while driving to work, while coming from work, while washing the dishes. This summer I had an experience. My daughter came back from college, and uh, over the years she used to take stray cats, you know. <laughs> anything stray she would find, she'd bring it home. And, uh, you know, I keep giving cats away, and, and this time around she brought a beagle home. And I knew that I would be the one doing all the work. <laughs> this usually happens. So I was fuming in the beginning, and I just, I said, no, 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 no. But I saw that, uh, you know, the outcome would not be very good. So I kind of, I did obedience. I went the other way. Sometimes we have to do obedience to our children. You know, we are now, we live in days where we have to be obedient to our children in some situations. So we don't lose them. So they don't go out of the home. I would rather have them in the home than teach them a lesson and try to find them out there somewhere. So we have to swallow our parental rights. <laughs> okay? So I said, okay, you know, poor dog. Nothing wrong with a dog. I just don't have time and I don't. But it was really, I had a good thought at the time, a good looking small. And I said, well, why don't I walk the dog for 10 minutes every morning and start saying the prayer? And it worked out so well, where after a little while, I began to love this dog. <laughs> I miss him now. <laughs> I have to go get another one so I can walk and pray with him. <laughs> we can pray everywhere. We can pray when we're waiting for someone instead of fuming. Oh, why are they always late? You know, uh, sometimes we go to church and the, the priest might be late. And we begin to have this imagination. You know, they are human beings. They have habits. Or they might be some, put a good looking small. Or they might be at the hospital. They might be giving communion to someone. Put a very good thought in your mind and then use this time that you're waiting properly. Oh, what, a, what an opportunity. Ten minutes to pray. But you see what we do is sit there and we criticize. They're always late and... The devil has fun when we do this. You know, someone uh, went to visit Father Paisios who had a very bad factory of thoughts. See, we have a factory inside of us that, uh, you know, creates thoughts. And it's all here. And someone, someone saw Paisios wiping his lips and he thought, and here I thought you're on a set. If you're eating meat inside, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, the devil just ripped him apart. And another person came and uh, he says, Elder, what do you need? What do you need? Tell me, I, I want to bring you something. I said, Young man, I don't need anything. All right, bring me a case of cigarettes. <laughs> this young man thought nothing of it. He did obedience, sent him a case of cigarettes. <laughs> he didn't think, what would the elder do with him? The elder laughed at this, and then he thought, what am I going to do with all this? So whenever he would have... <laughs> so whenever he would have visitors come, and he would tell him, Elder, I have a big problem. I, 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 I smoke three packs a day. Okay, I'll make a deal with you. Now, I want to give you some cigars, but you have to promise me that you're only going to smoke one pack a day. Can we do that? 
<laughs> so he used this. <laughs> he used this, and he saw, so you can use these negative things, you know. <laughs> so he gave them all away to people, and he helped them quit smoking. So the prayer is a fortress, a tool, and a weapon indispensable, not just when we fight thoughts, but again, we must use it at every possibility, all the time. Again, we must keep in mind not to use it when we're very, very, very afraid. At the initial attack, we try to ignore. We try to ignore the thought. If that doesn't work, then, you know, we use a substitution of thought. Then we go to systematic prayer. And if that still doesn't do it, then we can try something else. It's called the debate method or andirisis, andirisis in Greek. And uh, we have to be kind of strong to do this. It's not always uh, very efficient. A thought can come, you know, why do we pray to the dead? Why do we pray to the dead? Especially, you know, as you come into orthodoxy and you have these thoughts and, you know, uh, where does the scripture say that, uh, you know, we must pray to the dead? And then you can fight this thought by another statement. You know, you can simply say, well, we don't pray to the dead because they're not dead. People don't die. Their body dissolves. Their soul is always alive. Right? Or you can simply use scripture like Christ did in the desert against Satan. About seven, eight years ago, I had a tremendous temptation. I was doing this work for about ten years, and then my logismo. It's very important that, you know, your thought and your obedience is very true to your spiritual father, because without his prayer, this work would not be possible. I know that for a fact. There's no question in my mind. So at some point, we had, I had a different opinion. I heard someone else and I was a little divided on a very serious issue. And I said, but Elder, I heard this somewhere else. Now, what, what are you telling me? And he tried to explain to me in a certain way. I tried for a few days. Nothing would work. And all I could see was a split between myself and my elder. And my body began to burn. I mean, I, I felt the flames of fire, of hell at that point. For a whole week, I was burning. Physical, I mean, it was just incredible. And it wouldn't go away. So at some point, the elder says, this is what you do. You repeat to yourself over and over again. The elder said it, that's it. That's it. I repeat that a few times. My elder said it. It's over. And the war stopped, and about a month later, he left me altogether. It was the work of the evil one to derail this work that we're doing right now. So we can use debate. However, we have to be careful because we can find ourselves talking back and forth in our mind. When we have a problem, we go back and forth. Question, answer. Why, why not? Why? And this can go on for days. And this happens to people where, you know, they look very peaceful on the outside, but inside their mind is racing and racing and racing and racing constantly. It's a very terrible plight. So, again, if we have a situation like this, then we go to confession. At this point of the game, we go to confession, we confess it, and because confession is a mystery of the church, and because it is inundated in humility, confession is the sacrament of humility. Some people say, why can't I pray to the, why can't I confess at the icon? Because you don't shed any dignity at the icon. When you go to another man and say, I am this and this and this, this is who I am. All this 
all this aura, all this dignity, this pharisaism, it just kind of drops. This is the important thing about confession, holy confession. A very advanced ascetic in a desert, very advanced, those that have the illumination and, you know, they, they have information from God. They know when the grace comes. And thank God we still have them today. He had a splitting thought like this. He had a loyismo, and he did not know if this was from God or from the devil. And he says, okay, I will fast, I'll fast upon fast for weeks, and God will reveal, reveal to me his will. Started fasting, more fasting, more vigils, more prayer. Weeks upon weeks, more prayer, more fasting, nothing. He was exhausted. No information from God. The Lord Yismol was persisting. He didn't know if this was from God or not. And finally, after coming to an impasse, he says, this is not working. I'm going to have to go to my neighbor, to his neighbor ascetic, and ask his opinion. And he'll tell me. So he gets ready. He opens his door. He goes outside. The minute he went outside, God gave him the answer. And he says, Lord, why didn't you answer me all this time? I nearly starved myself. Because until you humble yourself and you went ready to go to your other friend ascetic, that's when I gave you the information. Because